Have you had that experience of seeing something amazing? I mean, something truly beautiful, incredible. In trying to draw someone else into looking at it with you. Whatever it was. Maybe it was an incredible natural phenomenon sight. How many of you got that heavy rain yesterday at your house? Last evening, it rained heavy for a while, and then the sun started shining through. It was fairly cloudy and stormy all day, but then suddenly, uh, as the evening wore on, around seven-ish last night, the clouds broke and started shining through, and the kids went out on the deck of the house to see if, if they could see the rainbow, and they didn't, so they came. And a few minutes later, Stephanie went to the back window and looked out, and she saw it. Mike, there it is! Beautiful rainbow right over our neighborhood, right here, calling us over to take a look. Now, can you imagine if Stephanie had seen that rainbow, and then, Mike, there it is rainbow out there it's pretty nice that's not usually the way we do that is it when you see something amazing incredible when Stephanie and I traveled full time for Pensacola many years ago we did not often have the opportunity to actually see some of the sights as we traveled because we quickly moved from place to place but once in a while we would Attempt to get to some of the sites. So on a Saturday, we were a couple of hours from Mount Rushmore there in South Dakota, right? And so we decided to get up and drive to go see Mount Rushmore. And as we were walking up the path where you could stand and view Mount Rushmore, there was an animal there. And Stephanie... It was right off the path, and Stephanie says, Mike, look at, look at that dog over there. Isn't that a weird-looking dog? And I looked. Stephanie, that's a mountain sheep or goat thing. It, it was one of those mountain sheep right there off the path, but it was, a neat, it was like, wow, that's even cooler than seeing a dog over here. It's right there. That's usually the way we do those things. Coming into church this morning, the, my children were up in front of me, I was still grabbing some things out of the van, and they're halfway up the sidewalk out here, and they're bending down. Dad, Dad, we found a slug. I mean, that was exciting to them. But that's usually when we see something amazing, something exciting, something that is out of the ordinary, something that is beautiful. That's that's typically the way that we get someone else who's with us to come and take a look, right? It's passionate. It's urgent. It's excited. Come take a look at this. Come and see this, this beautiful sight. Come and see this amazing, incredible slug. That's usually the way that we do it. Would you look with me at our text... In Luke chapter 5, and before we read it in its entirety, I want you to just notice the second word of the text in verse 18. What is that second word of verse 18? Say it out loud, would you? Behold. This word is fairly common in the New Testament. It appears some over 200 times. About a quarter of the uses is here in the gospel according to Luke. Luke uses the word a little over 50 times in the 24 chapters. Interestingly, he uses it several times in chapters 1 and 2, does not use it at all in chapters 3 and 4, but then it appears here again 
in the middle of chapter 5. It's a, an interesting word that we should pay attention to. I think often in our reading of it, it, it loses a little bit of its flavor. This word is not just a just an average word. It's not just like that idea of you see something beautiful and amazing, but then, hey, come look at that. It's not that kind of a word. This word is actually a verb. I think sometimes we read it almost as an interjection, sometimes almost as just an opener, but that's not what it is. It's a verb. It comes from the word ido, which is a compound word in the Greek language. It means to see but it's to it, it's connected with a preposition and really it denotes the idea of seeing that leads to knowing i want you to see something so that you can learn something i want you to look at this so that you can come to know and understand something here the word is in the imperative form so luke is giving us a command to look and through looking acquire some knowledge luke commands us to pay special attention to this specific passage this particular miracle we could ask the question why why does Luke want us to pay special attention to this passage? I'll offer you just three reasons. Number one, it reveals a hint of divinity in a way not previously related. Has Jesus throughout his life and ministry given evidence of his deity, the reality that he's God? The answer is yes. But in this passage, he does something unique that he's not done before. It ex and, and what it is, is that expression of his authority to forgive sins. He's not done that before. Number two, it marks a transition in Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> if you look back at Luke 5, 17, the verse we ended last Sunday with, Luke records for us that the Pharisees are showing up. They're coming out of Galilee, out of Judea, and even out of Jerusalem itself. The religious leaders of Israel, of the Jews, have begun hearing about Jesus' ministry. Jesus has interacted with some of them in local places as he's traveled, but now they're coming from all Israel, the religious leaders are, to investigate Jesus. And by the way, don't read that as a bad thing. The religious leaders of the Jews, according to the Old Testament, had the responsibility before God to investigate those who taught the Word of God to be certain that they taught the Word of God in truth. So they are fulfilling a God-given responsibility in coming to do this. But because of what happens and because they don't properly recognize Jesus for who he is, they now start to bring conflict. If you read in Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, and Luke's gospel, where they all record this event, read prior to that event, and you do not read of any conflict in general, with the religious leaders of Israel. But from this point forward, in each of those three Gospels, guess what you find over and over again? Conflict. It is this event that is the transition in Jesus' ministry to that. And then number three, simply it teaches us valuable truths to which we should pay particular attention. I believe this miracle and what happens around it has some particular truths that we need to give special attention to. And so if you would, follow along now in Luke 5, beginning in verse 18, as we read the entirety of the passage. Luke records, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. 
And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. As we behold Luke's account of the paralytic, would you ponder three critical aspects presented by the text? Number one, consider, ponder the faith he observed. Ponder the faith he observed. Is anyone surprised by verse 20 of our text. Look at it again. When he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Does this surprise anyone? Picture the scene with me for a moment. These men, carrying the corners of the bed on which this man is laying, Come and go to the top of the house, remove the tiling from that flat roof that would act almost as a courtyard or a patio to us. Remove that tiling so they could let the man down before Jesus. So Jesus is below. They let this man down, and now he is right at the feet of Jesus. And here's, I think, what we would expect to see. We would expect to see Jesus look down at this man who's on the bed before him and say, I see your faith, so your sins are forgiven. But that's not what happens, is it? Luke records when he saw their faith. He said to this man, your sins are are forgiven you. That's not what we'd expect, but it's what happens. Luke records Jesus sought their faith, and he responded to the faith not of the man who needed him, but of his friends who knew he needed Jesus. Pastor and author David Guzik wrote, In this account, the emphasis is on the faith of the friends of the paralyzed man. We need to have faith for more than our own needs, but also have faith that Jesus can and will meet the needs of others whom we bring to him. Do you have faith for someone else who needs Jesus, whom God has placed before you, whom God has placed in your life? Do you have faith that Jesus can meet their needs? Who is that person, that group, that family, that community for whom you have faith in Jesus? The Bible says Jesus saw their faith. Well, the question could be, how does one see faith? Now, we might say, well, pastor, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus sees the heart. 
that is true. But the context, what Luke tells us, does not reveal that that is what Jesus saw. He didn't look into their hearts and see faith, though he could. One sees faith by what faith produces. And so the question for this text is, what did their faith produce? Jesus saw their faith. How do you see faith? You see faith by what faith produces. Well, what did faith produce in them? How was it visible in their lives? Listen carefully. Their faith produced their actions to get the man to Jesus. I want you to see this, first of all, about the faith he observed they were creative. They were creative. Think about this. The Bible tells us in verse number 18, look at this, they sought means to bring him in. I believe even before they got there, when they were there at his house talking about how are we going to get him to Jesus, they were thinking, they were brainstorming, how can we get him from where he is to where Jesus is? Jesus is in Capernaum. How are we going to take him from his house over on 1st Street to the house Jesus is in over on 5th Street? How are we going to get him from here to there? Once they got there, the crowd is in the house. The crowd is all around the house. How are we now going to get him from where we are here at the back of the crowd into the house where Jesus was? They sought means to bring him in, and it means exactly for what it sounds like. They tried to determine, they looked for ways to get this man, a paralytic, confined to his bed, to Jesus who was surrounded by a crowd. And that teaches me something. We need to be creative. And we need to be active in bringing people to Jesus. Are we looking for ways to get people from where they are to where they need to be with Jesus? I heard a pastor recently as he was preaching who said this about his church. We will do anything short of sin to bring people to Jesus. You know, that's a good perspective to have. What can we do? What, what can we implement? What can we bring? What resources can we put into play? All for the purpose of getting people to Jesus. These friends of this man, Jesus saw their faith... What did that mean? They did whatever they could to get him from where he was to Jesus' feet. And we should do the same. Not only were they creative, but I'll ask you to see this secondly about their faith. They were committed. Would you agree with me that these friends faced difficulty and distraction? Wouldn't you think that's true? As they worked to get him from where he was to where he needed at Jesus' feet, they faced difficulty and distraction. But would you note this? Number one, nothing hindered them. They got him from where he was in his house to the house where Jesus was, and they find a crowd. A crowd so full and thick, both in the house and outside the house, around all of the entryways, that as they stood there at the back of the crowd, it looked impossible. There is no way we can get him to Jesus. And some, that would mean let's just take him back home. But they didn't do that. As they looked on one another, as they discussed together, as they thought about what they were seeing and what was in front of them, the difficulty, the hindrance, they were so committed to getting him from where he was to Jesus, where he needed to be, that they determined nothing is going to stop us. We're not going to be hindered by this crowd. We're not going to be hindered by any other difficulty. We're going to get this man to Jesus. 
would you notice number two nothing distracted them oh we can be distracted in our lives can't we they were being hindered by the difficulty you know they could have been distracted too they could have at that moment began thinking about all the other cares of this life that they each had well you know I need to get get home for this reason or that reason I need to get to the office I need to do this or that I, I need to put my focus on these things these cares that are weighing on me are bigger than all of this and now that I've got this difficulty in front of me we can't do it anyway so let's just take him back home leave him there and and go back about our own lives but they were determined nothing would hinder them nothing would distract them can I ask you this morning what hinders or distracts you from committing to bringing people to Jesus Jesus saw their faith their faith produced something the action to get this man to jesus and even when they faced difficulty nothing would hinder them though there may have been other cares nothing would distract them they were going to do what they could and it means necessary to get him from where he was to where he needed to be at the feet of jesus and when they let that man through the roof jesus looked up and he saw their faith gave the man his sins like these bringing the paralytic we can and will face challenges there are going to be difficulties we can all and we all do face distractions but listen friend jesus saw their faith through their commitment to bring the man to jesus nothing hindered them nothing distracted them through creativity and commitment they brought the man to jesus who could work and that's what we need to do. We need to have that kind of faith that leads us to creativity, doing whatever we can, figuring out what we can do to bring people to Jesus that leads us to a commitment that nothing will hinder us, nothing will distract us to get people to Jesus. This past Wednesday... I was privileged to join with 24 other faith leaders from our community in a meeting hosted by Chief Robert Hassel of the Rocky Mount Police Department. His reason for calling the meeting was to share his burden for our community and desire for the department to join forces with the faith community to figure out initiatives plans of action that we can work on to meet the challenges facing our community and during the meeting he mentioned how he had previously met with a group of mental health professionals in our area and he made a comment to them that he shared with us that that really stood out to me he said to those mental health professionals you can't expect that everyone who needs help is going to come through your door. You need to do like a church would do and do outreach, do missionary work to go out there because not everyone who needs to be saved will walk through your door. And that stood out to me as a pastor of a church burdened for us in that way. Friends, we can't expect that everyone in Rocky Mount who needs Jesus is going to walk through the doors of our church on their own. They're, they're not just going to suddenly wake up early on a Sunday morning and think, you know, I think I need Jesus, so let me walk to that church down there. Let me drive to that church down there and walk in the front door and, and hope I'll find Jesus there. That's not the way it works. God has commissioned you and I to go to preach the gospel, to bring every creature the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so you will look at this with me today. Pondering the faith that Jesus observed, 
you'll recognize that he observed faith that prompted these men to bring a paralytic to Jesus. They were creative and committed. Nothing would hinder or distract them. And we must practice faith as they did. Let us creatively and committedly go and seek out people who need Jesus so that we can bring them. And we need to believe that we can effectively make a difference for him. And he can make a difference in the lives of those we bring. Think about it. Those men were not believing that Jesus would do something for them. They were believing that Jesus would do something for the man they brought. And that's what you and I need to do. We need to have faith, not just that God will do in, for, and through us something, but we need to believe that God will do something in the lives of those we work to bring to him. And so let us creatively and committedly go about the work, believing that he'll do that. Ponder the faith he observed. Number two, ponder the forgiveness he offered. We already read it, but there in the second half of verse number 20, after Jesus, the Bible records for us, saw their faith, he said unto him, the man now on the bed before him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. Jesus did what no one expected. In the context, I don't believe even the men who brought the paralytic to Jesus expected this. Certainly, and on the bed wasn't expecting it. And for certain, the crowd, including those religious leaders around the house, were not expecting this. Jesus did not immediately heal in the way that was expected. Instead, he immediately forgave sins. Why? Jesus didn't always operate in this manner. Jesus did not always, every time someone needed to be healed, forgive sin, and verbalize it, and then heal. So any answer I would come up with would just be conjecture. However, I'll ask you to think about a couple of things. Number one, Jesus sees hearts. Did Jesus sense know that before him on that bed was a man sensing the burden of sin. I don't know what that man's life had been. I don't know if it was sin or not that led him to being a paralytic. But perhaps Jesus, knowing the man's heart, knew here was a man before him. Yes, he wanted to be healed and able to use his legs, but he also was buried under the burden of his sin. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew who was there. Those religious leaders were present. They were coming now to investigate him, figure out what he was all about. Did he sense that it was time for him to reveal that he was more than just your average teacher or miracle man? That he needed them to see that. I'm not just here to do a couple of tricks and then go away. I'm here for something much greater. Whatever the reason, Jesus identified his ministry was about much more than healing physical maladies. His ministry included reconciling man to God. And friends, only forgiveness can do that. Nothing else can reconcile man to God but forgiveness, and only faith in Jesus produces forgiveness. And so, yes, that means that good works do not yield righteousness nor forgiveness in favor. You cannot overwhelm your badness with some amount of goodness. The problem that you have is not badness but deadness. The Bible declares you're not bad in trespasses and sins. It declares you're dead in trespasses and sins. So you see, goodness isn't going to earn you salvation because it's not badness that you need to deal with. It's the reality that you're dead. And only Jesus can give life. Listen, your efforts of righteousness do not impress him. 
Do you understand today? I can't impress God with my efforts at righteousness. He is perfect in only equal perfection. Can accomplish anything for him before him. Only equal perfection could come into his presence eternally. Jesus came. And forgiveness comes only through him, through his death and resurrection. So ponder the forgiveness he offered with me for a few moments. I'd ask you to see, first of all, the essence of forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness... Biblically speaking, simply the word means to send, to send off or away. It's a compound word that's used here in Luke 5, 20. The verb to send combined with a preposition that means off or away. So forgive literally means to send off or send away. I want you to see another example of the word in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 20. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 20. The gospel uh, penman Matthew uses the same word here. Jesus had come. He calls his, some of his disciples to come and follow him. And Matthew chapter 4 verse 20 says, And, straight, and they straightway left their nets and followed him. You say, Pastor, I don't see any sense of the word forgiveness here. The same word translated forgive in Luke 5.20 here is translated left. They walked away from their nets and fishing equipment to follow Jesus. And this idea well represents forgiveness. When God forgives sin, he sends it Away, He no longer holds or retains it. He lets it go. Consider two passages in Psalms that explain how God views the sin of those apart from Christ versus those in Christ. Look, if you would, at Psalm 90, verses 7 and 8. Psalm 90, verses 7 and 8. The Bible declares here in Psalm 90, verses 7 and 8, For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. In context, this is dealing with Israel and the covenant and all that. But if we apply it in New Testament terms... If you are not in Christ, your sins are all known by God, and you are condemned in and by your sins before God. You've set our sins before you. All the secrets, all those things that can't be seen in the dark are as light to you. Friends, listen to me. Apart from Jesus Christ, your sins are continually before God. He sees and knows them all. No matter how secret, no matter how hidden from the eyes of others, they are all before God. And because of that, you are condemned in your sin and by your sin, apart from Jesus Christ. But then look at the passage we read earlier in the service found in Psalm 103. Look at verses 1 through 3 again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thine diseases. Verse 12, the Bible declares this, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. In New Testament terms, apart from Christ, your sin is before God. All the secrets of your life, of your sin, are known to him. In New Testament terms, you're in Christ, though. Listen, it's all forgiven. What does that mean? 
He's sent it away. He's removed it from you and from himself as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? It's immeasurable, isn't it? You start drawing a line east, you start drawing a line west. Guess what? They're never going to meet. As far as east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us in Christ. God doesn't see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Your sins, past, present, and future, were all judged in Christ when he gave himself on Calvary. And that's why Paul uses this in Ephesians 4.32, speaking to us about forgiveness when he says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake have forgiven you. For Christ's sake means because of the cross. God, because of what Jesus did at Calvary, has forgiven you. So in Christ, you're forgiven. God has sent your sins away as far as the east is from the west. Apart from Christ, they're always before him. In Christ, he doesn't see them. He doesn't know them. He's removed them from you and from himself. Why? Because Jesus took the punishment of your sins at Calvary. Because he did, God removed your sins from you. He doesn't retain them or hold on to them. This represents what I would call the Godward side of salvation. Now I want you to see, secondly, the experience of forgiveness. Can you imagine this man's response? When he's let, let down there before before jesus jesus sees their faith he looks down at this man and he says your sins are forgiven you can you imagine his response the bible doesn't talk to us any about his response at that point but i can imagine what it was you know why because i'm a sinner because i feel the weight and burden of my sin but I know through the word of God that because I've come to Jesus Christ, trusting in his finished work at Calvary, his death, his burial, and resurrection for my salvation, I know I am forgiven. And friends, to know the forgiveness of God is the greatest joy of salvation and remedy for the guilt and shame of past sins. Nothing thrills me more in this life than to know my past with its sin and stain are under the blood of Jesus Christ forgiven. My sins are washed away by his blood. God has removed them as far as the east is from the west. This represents the manward side of salvation. I am forgiven. I have been set free. God has taken my sin away and removed it. One writer wrote, this reminds us that only God can solve our sin problem. We can't even forgive ourselves because we don't have the power and authority to forgive ourselves. We must be persuaded that God has truly and rightly forgiven us in light of what Jesus did at the cross. Our rest in the sense of forgiveness is always created by the certainty it is the gift of the grace of God. You're forgiven. Does that, does that do anything for you? To know that you are forgiven by Jesus. And then would you notice the evidence of forgiveness? In Luke chapter 5, the Jewish religious leaders who gathered were appalled at Jesus' remark. They rightly judged that only God can forgive sin. Friends, that's true. No one else can forgive sin but God. They mistook Jesus as only a man and not God. So Jesus provided himself with a challenge after identifying the unspoken thoughts of their hearts. Jesus knew their hearts. 
Why are you reasoning this way? Why are you thinking who can forgive sins but God? So Jesus provides the challenge. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk. Now pay attention. Jesus did not say what's easier to do. Because in reality, forgiving sins is harder. It costs more than the omnipotent God saying, get up and walk. It costs God far much more to forgive sin. Why? Because God could only forgive sin through blood. The shedding of his own perfect son's blood. But Jesus said, what's easier to say? Could anyone in the moment prove what Jesus said came to pass? Your sins are forgiven you. Nobody could prove that. Jesus couldn't prove he had forgiven the man's sins with authority. The man couldn't unroll the record books of heaven and show forgiven written across the pages. The religious leaders and the others watching on couldn't see his sins forgiven. So Jesus said, what's easier to say? I said this... It's true, but you don't think, so let me do something to prove that I have the authority and power to do what I said I would do in forgiving this man's sins. This is the evidence, if you will, of forgiveness. Jesus would have healed the man either way. But in this context, he uses the healing to prove his power and authority not just as a miracle worker, but as God to forgive sins, as he said he would. And then, I want you to see thirdly today, I know we're getting short on time, but see it quickly with me. I want you to not only ponder the forgiveness he offered, the faith he observed, but ponder the force he owns. If you will, the power that he owns. Would you meditate for just these last few moments on the power of Jesus? Number one, we, we see in this text, he has the force or the power to heal. Jesus, at the time and the way of his choosing, spoke the word and healed this man. He did it different ways at different times throughout the Gospels. Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he touched. Sometimes he wasn't even where the diseased person was. How incredible is that? And it wasn't a telehealth call either. He wasn't there physically, and yet he could still work the miracle. Sometimes he, he met the spiritual need first, then the physical need. Sometimes he met the physical need and then the spiritual need. He did it at different ways, at different times, identifying even in greater way his power. He does it how he chooses, when he chooses. Here's a man in this text confined to his bed for an indefinite amount of time as a paralytic and yet when Jesus spoke the word rise up and walk he immediately had the power to get up and not just get up to pick up his bed and walk home. It was complete. It was absolute it wasn't just hey you need to get up and go through therapy and build up your muscles and figure out a walk again it was he got up he had the strength he had the coordination god through jesus doing this miracle gave all those muscles and everything the the memory that they needed to do what they're supposed to do with strength this is incredible Friends, can I tell you, it's the same for us. You say, Pastor, what are you getting at? I want you to remember today that spiritual healing comes from Jesus. He gives the power to get up, to pick up your bed and walk. 
He gives that power. When you come to him in faith, we say it all the time, he gives you power over what? Sin. You have that power because he's given it to you, but it's your choice. That paralytic, when Jesus said, rise up, take up your bed and walk, he could have stayed sitting there, couldn't he? I mean, it would have been foolish, but he could have. He could have stayed right there. He could have stood up and not moved. Jesus healed him. It was his choice now to get up and walk. And I do want to address physical healing. Say, Pastor, you're getting a little weird now. No, listen to me carefully. Physical healing comes from Jesus. And we all need it to differing extents, don't we? You say, well, I, I don't know about a disease that's currently in my body. Friends, you live in a body that is broken because of sin. And we all have physical ailments. We all are growing older moment by moment. The reality of this world at this point is the moment you are born into this world, you start dying. That's the reality of this world and this life. The physical ailments that you experience as minor or as major as they are, are the result of sin in the world. You are broken, living in a broken world. But listen to me. Jesus gives physical healing. And your healing is not a question of if, what, who, or how. It's only a matter of when. What? Give me that again, Pastor. Your question of healing is not a question of if you're going to be healed. How you're going to be healed. Who is going to heal you or what that healing will look like. It's only a question of when. Your healing will happen. Your healing will be complete. Your healing will be worked by Jesus. The only question is when. At some point in this life or in the next. Your loved ones who have gone on to heaven be it through some sickness or disease or even just natural causes, guess what? The moment that their bodies died, they went to be with the Lord completely healed. Nothing touches them anymore. Those of you who, who experience the ailments of this life, the diseases and the sicknesses and the problems that, yes, sin has caused, be it directly or indirectly in your life, you will be healed. And it will be Jesus who will work the healing. He might do it here for his glory. But if he doesn't do it here, he will do it there. And by the way, can I say, if Jesus chooses not to heal you here, even that sickness and pain will be for his glory. I said I'd move on quickly, so let me do that. He has the force to be honored. How did the people respond to what they saw? The man glorified God. He got up, took his bed, walked on home glorifying God. The Bible says that all they that were there glorified God. They were amazed. They were in fear. They said, we've seen strange things today. By the way, that word strange doesn't mean weird. The Greek word is the word paradoxos, from which we get our word paradox. What they saw with their eyes and the evidence that led them to believe it was true was not what they would have expected. If you had told them that morning, this is what you're going to experience today, they would have said, no way. There's no way that can be. There's no way that can happen. But they saw it with their own eyes and the evidence overwhelmed them. The glorious power of Jesus demands that we honor him. That we praise him. And then thirdly, he has the force that brings hope. 
the reality of his great power brings hope. Wherever you are and whatever you need today, let this and other accounts of his glorious power give you hope. Do you need the power for your own healing? Spiritual, physical, emotional, mental, or relational? Put your hope in him. Do you need his power to save a loved one? Put your hope in him. Do you need his power to bring back a wayward son or daughter? Put your hope in him. Do you need his power for deliverance from some bondage? Put your hope in him. Do you need his power to see justice done? Put your hope in him. Do you need his power to revive you today? Put your hope in him. Here's what Paul wrote, Romans 15, 13, and we close with this. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Why? That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And that's my prayer for each of us today. That the God of hope will fill us with joy and peace in believing and that we would abound in hope. Luke says, Behold, what has God taught you? convicted you of challenged you with as we have come and looked at this account in his word today maybe you're here without Christ and you need to believe and be saved maybe you are one who needs to put your faith in Jesus for somebody else not that you can get saved for them but you can believe God to do the work that they need in his life, in their lives, and it's your job, it's your responsibility to bring them to Jesus. Maybe today you need to have hope for God to do a work in your life. You respond as God leads. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask the musicians to come to their place.